Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. I am just so delighted you could share this evening with me. Um, it's, it's going to be an exciting one, I promise you. Uh, but before I get involved into nightmares, which are fascinating, I want to thank Ken Quiethawk for his intro. Please check him out on the Internet. Um, look up Native Storytellers and learn a lot about how to preserve your living history through stories and, and, and um, imagery rather than boring people with books, we, we, and books aren't boring, don't get me wrong, but, but preserving history through a, uh, an oral tradition of, of stories that teach you morals and, and, and how to live a good life, um, it's very exciting, and it's a, it's a tradition that is, it's, it's not as alive as once it was, and I think it should be renewed. Also, um, we're going to be talking about a book uh, entitled Nightmares, Your Guide to Interpreting Your Darkest Dreams uh, by J.M. DeBorg. And um, if you want to find this book, uh, the link to it um, on Amazon is in the write-up for the show. It is on uh, my website in the, in the book section, or you can go directly to Amazon and probably to one of Jason's sites too. So it's definitely a book you're going to want to check out because it's fascinating. Um, it is an illuminating look at interpreting, understanding, and learning how to stop nightmares. You're chased, you fall, you get shot, you're attacked, you're paralyzed or trapped. A loved one dies, you die, and you wake up in a cold sweat wondering what it meant. Going beyond simple expl- explanations, this book guides you, um, it, it helps you to understand why you have nightmares and what they mean. 
Um, this informative, informative book looks at the meaning of common symbols and themes in nightmares and dark dreams, and it will teach you not only how to interpret the content of nightmares, but also why you have them in the first place, and even better yet, how to stop them. The gritty details of each nightmare are often personal and unique, but through examples and easy-to-follow explanations, Jason DeBoer guides you through interpretations and demystifies the dark side of dreaming. He explores the reasons for nightmares, some as simple as bad digestion and illness, and some, some are caused by shocking events or chronic situations, while others are more existential, challenging a person to break a pattern of habitual response or to break out of their self and claim their greater powers. He even shares his own worst recurring nightmare, its meaning, and how he overcame it. Exploring the messages delivered by the unconscious mind during sleep, Nightmares, your guide to interpreting your darkest dreams, provides the tools you need to sort through possible connections and to make sense of your nightmares. And also included are a helpful bibliography and extensive index adding to the book's usefulness. And it's it's an amazing thing to be able to go and find a, a symbol and archetype and, and read what is said about it because it helps you to sort sort of relate what's going on inside of yourself through through the explanations that he gives in the book. It's a wonderful book. Um, it's not necessarily a book I would recommend you read before going to sleep, but um, but maybe maybe it can bring up and and you can delve into some of the things that you're working on. Um, you know, lately in, in an unconscious way. But uh, we'll get into that with him. Welcome to the show, Jason. Glad you're back. Hey, thank you, Barbara. Yeah, it's not uh, the sort of light, you know, easy beach read that you'd want to, you know, before going to bed. Um, but no. I will say that it's not all, you know, we're not, it's not all, you know, monsters and darkness. I do show that with a lot of these symbols and themes that show up in your dreams, that there is another side to it. And, you talk about nightmares, and I get very deep into that subject. I do uh, I show that there's another side to it of these symbols. Sometimes they can even be humorous, especially when you understand, for example, that the vampire that's been following you around in your dreams and wants to suck your blood is a symbol for the mooching ex-boyfriend who's still trying to get his hands into your pocketbook or something that is – you know, it's not necessarily as deep and dark as it appears at first. Um, in some cases, you can get into the symbolism and find that the sort of dark imagery is, it's sort of like darkly satirical. And once you see the satire in it, you go, oh, okay, well, maybe yeah. that's not so bad. So <laughs> it won't necessarily keep you awake at night. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it, it doesn't. It, it's just that I spent an entire week in nightmares and um, – I, I, you know, the only nightmare I can remember ever having was being at my own wake and standing in the back of the room and having people go up to the coffin and looking in and saying, oh, why didn't she ever wear her hair that way? It's just perfect for her. And <laughs> try as I could, I could not get up to the coffin to see what the heck they were talking about. And I had that dream for, oh, gosh, over a year. And I finally, you know, forgetting I had had the dream, I, I cut my, I, I radically cut my hair and I never had that dream again. 
I so, was going to go that direction in my thoughts. If you asked me what I thought it could mean, I would say, I wonder if it was presaging a change of hairstyle and that, that it's expressing a fear of it and how you would be perceived by people because your hairstyle is often what people notice about you, especially when you change hairstyle. And there's oh, yeah. that moment when someone important says, oh, hey, you changed your hair and you're waiting for that reaction. And is it going to be like, oh, it looks nice. Or is it going to be like, wow, girl, that's that you really rocked that haircut. You know, so well, sometimes, you know, it, and that's a great illustration, Barbara, of the times when things that appear sometimes dark in dreams or at least thematically dark are not necessarily as bad as what they at first appear because there's a meaning behind it that's, you know, it's not so bad, but it is delving perhaps into some kind of anxiety, worry, or fear that you have. Well, I, I have found that almost every decade I change I, my, my personality or my focus in life or my way I approach life. I can't, I, I can't really put a finger on exactly what it is, but about every 10 years I radically change my approach. And I think it was right at one of those times, you know, I would change, you know, the kind of clothes I wear or, you know, there would be a big change in me. Um, I would, you know, go in a new direction, you know, career-wise. Or so, you know, I and I think it probably might have been around one of those times too, when when I was getting ready to make a shift in the direction I was taking in my life. And I think I think most people get the opportunity every seven years or ten years or twelve years or you know whatever your number is. But but there are phases in your life and. Um, I you know because I'm I flow so easily with them I I don't have to have the nightmares about it but um uh. it I you know nightmares you know, I I think the one thing that came through you know most in the book to me was that that you are every piece of your dream you are every piece of the nightmare it reflects about it reflects something about you it's not necessarily about other people yet there are precognitive dreams not saying they're not but for the most part you are every part of the dream and and, and therefore how does that how does that relate to your to your waking state i at every turn i try to remind the reader that this is a self-created experience. The nightmare was not beamed into your head from outer space. It did not come from some entity hovering over your bed that's now, you know, uh, whispering into your subconscious. This is mm -hmm. you creating an experience for yourself. Now, it's coming from another side of the mind, the unconscious, or some people call it the subconscious. And understanding that part of you and your relationship with it is the key to getting into why you created this experience for yourself to begin with. The unconscious has its own agenda, and it's primarily oriented on your learning and your growth. So when you have a nightmare, you would say, what, am the, what is this thing trying to teach me? Is there an area of my life where I'm stuck and I need a kick in the butt to get going? Is there something uh -huh. that's dysfunctional and I'm not addressing it? Did I go through a chronic or like a terrible event, a situation uh, that I have not processed? Is there something from my past that's haunting me? These are the sorts of questions where you can begin and then also get into the content of the dream or the nightmare and see where it's pointing to in you and your life. 
But yeah, it is a self-created experience, and I want people to understand that and think of it as like there is a movie director behind the scenes that goes, okay, well, we've got to address this area of Barbara's life, and we're going to create a story that has a lot of rich symbolism and metaphor in it that's going to help to tell that story. And every piece of it is going to relate back to that big picture, which is sort of the idea that the author began with or the director began with when they wrote the story. And then the, the, the settings and the characters and the actions and other elements and components of the dream can all sort of constellate and cluster around that. And what you're doing in when you're interpreting a dream is trying to find its center of gravity, which is the idea that it began with, the kernel of inspiration. And then from there, you can get right into and understand the dream a lot better because all of us are familiar with storytelling. You know, the stories are the ways that we craft our understanding of ourselves in the world. So we all have an uh-huh. innate understanding of storytelling. And in my book, I try to connect the reader with that. This is not... You don't have to be a doctor of uh, psychiatry to understand a nightmare. You need to be able to understand the story creation process behind the nightmare. Yeah, I think that it, I think one of the things that um, you know, I can't. Re- I mean, that was that was as close as I come to a nightmare. But every now and then, I will have something that recurs, and it's like, okay, what am I trying to tell me? Because you know, I keep dreaming the same thing over and over again there has to be a message here for me so that and and you know when you recognize that there's a message and and you and you get the full the full message not just part of it the, then the dream goes away so it's, it's kind Word of evolved. like all right so so it's it's kind of like it's if you can, if you can stop the cold sweats, and I, I, I recognize the cold sweats. Aside from menopause, I recognize the cold sweats, and you know, it's 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 kind of like the conscious mind saying, "Crap, what is this?" You know, there there is at least on my part, it's I'm not seeing something I should be seeing. What the heck is it? And um, yeah, I think I mean, do you ever? Do people ever get those, you know it's a message, you just can't figure it out, and, you know, you you can drive yourself nuts trying to figure out what is it trying to say about me. I mean, you do talk about taking it level by level by level by level so that, you know, you go deeper and deeper and deeper into where what the message may be to you. It may may be more than um, this person is draining my energy and my time, and, you know, I have to get out, or is there something more than just the fact that there's a draining going on? You know, mm. is it, does it get down to I'm permitting the draining to go on, and why am I permitting it, and what is it saying about me, and where does that come from? I mean, there's always another level you can peel away to take a look at. When do you start you are a yeah, you are alluding, uh, we talked about, you know, vampires. Uh, I, I sort of hinted at that as one of the things that I write about in the book and that you can see that there's a, a humorous side to it sometimes, the thing that's draining you, that's relentlessly pursuing or following you. And once you uh, get into the message of the, of the dream and you start wiping, getting away the layers, you can find that there are things that are behind or underneath it. And once you make contact with them, then the real work can begin. 
And the dream will evolve as your understanding of the situation or circumstance behind it evolves also, as you understand more about yourself, about the situation itself, if it is a situation. It's a lot of times what the dream is really doing is saying, these are the things that are going on in your life, and these are your responses internally. And the next layer is to understand those, what's going on internally. I say, well, it takes two to tango. If you're in a relationship that's draining you, you identify the vampire in your dream as that relationship or the person who's you're in relationship with. Well, mm-hmm. ask yourself, what are you doing to keep the dance going? How are you responding to this situation? How are you enabling things to happen? And that's where we re- the dreams really want to bring you back to. They might start with external conditions, but they really want to bring you back to the internal conditions and then look at what it is going on in you, especially in your habitual responses to circumstances, events, and situations in life that keep these things going. How are you feeding into it? And that can be where dream work is very, very illuminating because in the end, it's a, it's a dance between you as a conscious being and you as an unconscious being, meaning the subconscious part of your mind. The dream is thought of as a dialogue between these two sides of you. And the content that emerges from the dream, which has all this rich symbolism and metaphor and story to it, is really a byproduct of that interaction. So Barbara, when I get my students uh, who are in training for dream interpretation and analysis, I like to give them sort of the stuff that we've already talked about as a beginner lesson. And then I go, okay, let's get into dream psychology and understand what is happening, where this content is coming from. How is this process happening inside of you? And most of, and, and the place to begin is to understand the dream as a dialogue, as a dynamic interaction between these two sides of yourself that act as counterparts, the conscious and the unconscious, and that the dream content itself is a secondary manifestation of that interaction. You're actually mm-hmm. interacting like, you know, the vampire, let's say, in a dream is a representation of, the fe- of a fear. Well, the, what you're actually interacting with first is the fear. The unconscious is bringing up the fear. And then as you interact with it, it's given this visual symbolic form as the vampire or whatever fits best with what that fear is and your, your, uh, the, the sort of ways that it affects you and the parts of your life where it arises from. For some people, the, the fear that comes up time and again in their dreams is something related to floods and water, you know, being stuck out on the ocean and they're, you know, they don't have a boat or a life vest uh, or they're on shore and here comes the tsunami or the tidal wave or the big storm with the lashing rain is rolling in. This is a manifestation of some kind of fear for them. It's kind of obvious when the dream produces fear and you react to the scenario with fear that that has to be an idea that's in the background. So now we can Uh start to get wise about the dream and go, well, where is this fear coming from? Why do I fear it in the first place? And what can I do about it now? So that's often, Barbara, behind what's behind recurring dreams, uh, is there is some kind of message that you're trying to give yourself. And once you get the message with nightmares, in the study of nightmares, they've shown through uh, clinical observation 
that nightmares tend to either go away or evolve into some kind of completely new theme once you have understood what it is that it's trying to communicate with you. You get the message and then it can move on. But if you don't get the message, you will keep cycling back to that same place over and over again. And that is, that's the kind of situation where people can get really bent out of shape about it because they feel like they're being tormented by their dreams. And that's not it well, at I all. Can, yeah. I can see with the vampire thing, you know, recognizing um, <clears throat> that a relationship, the other person is, is draining you and, you know, and the, the initial reaction is, well, I'll get rid of the person and then I, then I won't have to worry anymore. But the real, reality is they're draining me, but why am I allowing that to happen? And what is it? They stop at the, it's his fault or her fault. The, the, they're draining me, and if I just get away from them, I'll be okay. But the reality is that you put yourself in that position, and therefore there's something for you to learn from it, and why do you allow that to happen? And to me, once you figure out why you allow it to happen and correct that, it, it, the relationship might become better because they would stop draining you because you had figured out why the drain was happening. And then you can make a better, you know, informed decision as to whether you want to kick, kick them up the road or, or try to, you know, resolve whatever it is. Yeah, it takes two to tango, you know, and you, we, we're looking for these, you know, to cast blame on the, the uh, people in our lives for whatever our problems are. And the uh-huh. nightmares are calling us to take responsibility. And let's divide that word into two, responsibility, the ability to respond. This is what it's, the, the, ultimately a nightmare can be asking you to assume that ability, that power, the, the nightmare puts you in a situation that seems impossible, but you can respond. And if you can't respond in the nightmare space itself, the fear is just so overwhelming that you just turn tail and run every time you see it represented as symbolic form. Okay, well, what can you do in your life to respond? What can you do in yourself to respond? And you know that example that you gave of you figure out that your partner is the vampire who's been you know, draining you in your dream, and you go, well, was there something else going on too? Because maybe you move on to the next relationship and you find yourself back in the same situation again. And you go, well, how did that happen? Am I always attracting vampires in my life or is there something about me? You know, I, I could spend a lot of time when I, I discovered this about myself through my dreams is that I could waste a lot of energy arguing with myself. And it would, I would start to feel, you know, frustrated or um, some, some, you know, similar sort of feeling of, of just feeling really tight inside of myself. And I would go round and round in my own head. And then I would have these dreams where I'm sitting at a conference table listening to some guy going on and on. And I'm like, God, dude, come on, quit grinding your axe and let's move on. And I realized, well, you know, everything in a dream is me and uh-huh. that, that guy is some side of me. And that I, I, I need to deal with that part of me. And then once I made that connection to the internal dialogue, you know, I'm sitting there doing dishes one night going, rah, 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 you know, and I go, wow, this sounds a lot like that guy at the conference table who I'm always seeing in my dreams and thinking, come on, you know, you'd grow up. <laughs> you know? So, um, 
I've that that can be the, that part of the of the teaching. It can be so helpful as a basis for everything else you get into with dreams. Everything in the dream is some aspect of yourself that is given a representation in visual form, and oftentimes what it's representing is an idea, thought, or feeling. So it's not something that's tangible in itself where it begins. It's a thought. It's a feeling. And then the dream wraps it around imagery that's very rich with meaning so that you can see the idea and interact with it. The interaction is the other part of it that's really important for your approach to dreams because it is an interactive experience. The dream is being created on the fly as you interact with this content that's coming up from the unconscious. There you are, you're asleep, you're dreaming. The unconscious says, this is what's on the agenda. Let's go into dream number one. And here it is. Mm-hmm. Here, here's the fear. Here's the problem. Here's the situation, the decision. Here's the area of your life we want to talk about tonight. And let's start here. You're going to interact with that. And then it emerges, the content as you interact with it is created. So the dream really kind of begins as an outline, and then it's a a co-creative process, or as I like to say, a choose-your-own-adventure. You come to forks in the road during the dream, you make decisions, and the dream responds on the fly. This entire creative process going on is entirely within you, and it is all you being brought to life for you to interact with. And that's a very valuable insight for most people, especially ones who are looking for an entry point into understanding their dreams. Yeah. What what um I I have a grandson who is now in his twenties, but when he was younger, um four, five, he had what he called what what his parents called night terrors. And he would, he yeah. would, you know, they had a gate across his, his bedroom door, you know, so that he didn't wander the house when they weren't awake and everything. And, and um, I heard him screaming and rattling the gate one night, and I, I, you know, I went and I picked him up, of course, and my son said, no, no, put him down. They say to let him scream. And, you know, I, what do you do, you, you, you know? Mother and grandmother, part of me said, "Are you crazy?" And the other part said, "Put him down. He's, you know, it's their child. You know." So, what with a child, especially night terrors? Where do they come from? They haven't, they haven't been here long enough to, to really. I mean, of course, you know, reincarnation and all that stuff. But, but, what are night terrors for children? Boy, you you read my mind because most of the time children have not experienced the sorts of things that become night terrors. Uh, And so you start looking for other explanations, like are they seeing into something uh, traumatic that happened in a past life? I do address that in the book to a certain, to an extent. I, I had to kind of put it in the introduction because I couldn't find a way of weaving it into the discussion. But let's start with night terrors. What are they? Well, they're not nightmares, and that's the place to begin understanding how to approach them. You know, nightmares are these uh, highly charged, vivid, emotional, emotional experiences that you have while you're dreaming. It's a dream on steroids. It's that next level of something of intensity and emotion, uh, emotional punch that's hitting you. 
So that differentiates a, a dream from a nightmare. But a night terror is, can have similar imagery to a nightmare, but it's next level. And it's not being produced by the same process that produces um, a nightmare. The nightmare is you interacting with something within yourself that's very hard to deal with. A night terror is you, uh, your dreaming mind creating symbolic imagery around the experience of, of, of traumatizing energy flushing through your system. Uh -huh. I I, I, this will take a little bit of background. I discovered a, f a friend of mine um, who would tell me about his, what we thought were nightmares at the time. And we would work through the content of them, but I wasn't able to find my way through to something that was a conventional meaning to it. I wasn't finding it in the symbolism. I wasn't finding it in the story. I wasn't finding it in the ex his experience of these quote-unquote nightmares. And then we, I, I, I was really racking my brain on this. A good friend of mine, you know, I'm trying to help him out. And uh -huh. what I discovered with night cares, and this was through understanding his experience and then comparing that with other people, is that it is energy, traumatic energy, that has been imprinted into the nervous system. And when you're asleep and you're dreaming, it has a chance to release and let go. And the original, the energy of the original experience that created the trauma comes with it. So it's an energetic experience. It's not a dream experience. The dream imagery um, is a response to it. So go ahead, uh, Barbara. Can I, you know, you know I come from, a, you know, an offshoot modality. I interpreted it as he was experiencing his death in the last past life, and it was a traumatic death. And in his dream state, his spirit went back to the release of the spirit and the horror of the moment for it, and he was reliving it. Um, this is when you I, – I, I usually don't go there until I've worked through the conventional explanations. And what oh, yeah. I found is, is that let's just say for sake of argument that four out of five times – I can find my way through the content and I can get to an, a more conventional explanation. About one out of five times, I can't find it. And that's where I go into these other modalities, like you mentioned. Um, I had one guy, and I, I, used the, I used this in the book, um, he was uh, dreaming about being in a rural landscape where there is a black cloud of death rolling over the landscape and destroying everything. He's standing there, and it's kind of like a village scene, and uh, he knows that himself and all the people around him, they're all about to die. There's no escaping from this thing. They're going to die when the cloud gets there. We, we worked through all the different ways you could look at that as a symbol for something, and we didn't find it. And then I had an insight, and I went, did anyone that you know of in your family line, your, your lineage, your ancestry, experience something that is akin to a black wave of terror and death? And he said, yeah, they were, my, my family is from Poland. In 1939, the Nazis rolled through mm. where they lived and just wiped everyone out. And, I went, and he was the one who at that point said, that's what this dream, recurring nightmare that's what it means. He was seeing out of the eyes of someone who knew that they were about to die. Mm 
He was experiencing mm-hmm. what that person was experiencing at that moment. And he, once he made that connection, that everything else about it became clear, that he was dreaming about a generational trauma that had been experienced in his family line. This happens in families, communities, ethnic groups, especially ones that have been through like ethnic cleansing and genocide and stuff. Those memories mm-hmm. are imprinted into the DNA itself. But here's where people start to argue with me on this is they'll say, well, if his entire family got wiped out in Poland, how is it or like that whole line of his family? How could the DNA get passed on? Because they died. Their DNA did not get passed on to eventually get to him. And I say, well, that's where you get into the nature of, of what memory actually is. And I think you probably know this, Barbara, is, is that memory is ubiquitous. It is uh, imprinted into the fabric of space-time itself. Some of the great physicists uh, have described space-time as like a recording medium, you know, like a a magnetic tape of like the old-style cassette tapes was a a recording medium. Uh, And uh, a record was a recording medium. In the same sort of way, the fabric of space-time is also a recording medium, and memory is imprinted on it. You might have a sort of wavelength where you can pick up and synchronize with some of these things that happened long ago and you're picking it up, including like in the case of the boy that he was picking up on the memory of his own death at different genetic lines maybe, but the memory doesn't have to be passed down through genetics. The genetic DNA is more like a receiver. So yeah, that's the modality I go to after, or, you know, I've, well, my, argu- my argument that I had in my head afterwards was all he needed to do was be held and comforted, and he would have been fine. Yeah. Yep. And, yep. you know, I, I just – and in, in, my, in my experience, and I've got, you know, over half a century in this field, so I, I claim a little bit of knowledge um, – in, in my philosophy and my belief system, and it's just mine, it's not in a book someplace, but it's mine, is that, of course, the spirit goes lifetime to lifetime to lifetime to lifetime. And when the spirit enters the embryo, whatever, whenever that time frame is, it brings with it uh, a record of, you know, the record of itself, its journey throughout time. And yeah. It imprints within the DNA that record. It's kind of like they connect, like an avatar. When the spirit and the body connect, that memory is written into the DNA, and therefore the person, the physicality, is able to draw from that memory. I uh, and I, you know, I wonder if the boy, that you know, that, what if what if he had died alone? And now he, you know, these well-meaning doctors are saying, well, he just needs to be left alone to work through this himself. Don't wake him up, which, by the way, for adult nightmares uh, is recommended. You let the person, if you have a a sleep partner who's experiencing a nightmare, they're moaning, thrashing, things like that. Let the experience play out. And the, the reason being that the dreaming mind might find it necessary to repeat the experience because it's trying to get to the end. And the end is where there might be a decision point that can be made that could resolve the whole thing. If the person can do it in Uh the dream space, you know, 
turn around and face the vampire rather than run from it. And they finally do it in a dream, and now they face the fear, and it can move on from there. But my, I'm sitting there thinking, you know, the boy just probably needs to have, you know, some, some touch, that reassurance, the physical comfort. And to not give him that could actually be repeating the trauma that is giving him the night terrors to begin with. Well, he seems uh, to be it finding these from in an his early 20s. childhood experience. Yeah, yeah. I you mean, know, I, I, I just, you know, it's, it's, uh, that's often that that uh, <clears throat> that has often bothered me because it just felt wrong. But you know, I can understand as an adult letting somebody work through it because they have uh, a better understanding of their reality. But this child, you know, was you know four or five years old. He was a bitty baby, as far as I was concerned. But you know, I, I don't want to. I, I don't want to condemn his parents because they were do. They had checked it out. They had, you know, they had done their due diligence, and this was the advice they were given. And they were, but they, you know, they're great parents. So I just objected to that. Um, I do want to. I do want to get into a couple of other, one other area, um, kind of, because how do you tell? I mean. Waking up terrified and, and sweaty is one way of knowing you're having a nightmare. But, you know, the difference between a dream and a nightmare, and yet they both serve sort of the same purpose. One is just, you know, uh, a hammer, and the other is a, is a gentle tap. So how do you tell the difference between them? I mean, is or is there a difference? It's just a matter of if you're, if you're very... Um, perceptive you'll get you'll get the message from the gentle dream where you, you, your spirit will give you a nightmare if you're not listening close enough is that how it works well i do say that nightmares if you want to make a comparison they are the volume on 11 because you didn't get the mm-hmm. message when the volume was on two or three or seven or eight so now yeah. it's cranked okay. to the max it really wants to get your attention so that's often the place to begin. The, the ordinary, the, the nightmare, whatever the content was, the message was behind it, was probably in previous dreams that were not nearly as intense and scary as the nightmare is. But because the situation is getting more dysfunctional, more chronic, it's been going on longer, and it, it, the, the urgency is getting higher, now you get into the nightmare territory. So, you know, dream on steroids, I, I think it's an overused cliche, uh, the whole <laughs> on steroids thing. But um, we'll, we'll use that because people, you know, they can, it immediately brings an image to mind, uh, things from their own reference or experience. They can say, oh, yeah, okay, so the nightmare is just kind of a next-level dream in that, you know, it's higher intensity, there's more emotional punch to it, uh, and, and perhaps the situation behind it has more urgency you know, uh, if there is a uh, deadline approaching that you are not ready for something big that's going to be happening in your life, you know you've been procrastinating those first few days. You might have more ordinary dreams about it. A little bit of stress and anxiety comes out, but it's not too bad. And the clock keeps ticking. You haven't responded the way you need to, you know, and now you're having really intense dreams about this because, there's a there's a deadline coming, and if you don't get the message before that point in time, then it's going to be too late. And here's where it gets into a really interesting understanding of the mind behind dreams is that it knows these things. 
It knows when things are really important. It knows when things have become so dysfunctional that it's just terrible. It knows when things have become chronic. It knows when a deadline is approaching. It knows when you have been ignoring something and it's, it's time is up. You need to get going on it. Now, if we go back to night terrors for a second, and I think this is important for anyone out there to understand, for everyone out there to understand, especially those who've experienced this, as I'm saying is, is it's not even a next level nightmare. The content usually is. It's, it's so, it's just carnage. You know, it's just straight out of a horror movie, but a mishmash of, of the worst sorts of horror movies and scenes within them. And I don't find the sort of narrative structure to it that I find in other dreams, that in, in other nightmares, because they're not nightmares, they're night terrors. And like I said, it's an energetic experience. And the fix for it tends to be less about analyzing the content. In fact, that can even be a waste of time. Uh, in, in, unless it is accompanied, I'll say this, unless it is also accompanied on a similar track with trying to work at this with an, at an energetic level. You're trying to release the energy out of your nervous system so that you, it's not re-traumatizing you again and again. My friend Linda Schiller is a psychotherapist. You know her too. Um, and yeah. she wrote a great book, PTS Dreams, um, and yeah. in, she describes how the, um, uh, the, the people who have these sorts of experiences can respond to it in ways that can allow the energy of it to release out of your system. But if you don't do it, she has something that she says that I love. She says, whatever you do not metabolize will metastasize, as in uh-huh. it's not going to work through your system it is going to find a place within you that's going to become sore and vulnerable and ill. And whether that is in your physical body or your emotional body or all of the above, your spiritual body, then that's what you're, that's what you're dealing with now. So you need to do things on an energetic level that helps to release this out. And she would recommend things like EMDR, um, Qigong, or energy movement. Uh, my friend who I told you about who I learned a lot of this from um, he had a great reduction in his night terrors when he got really headlong into martial arts. And it was a combat-oriented martial art with a lot of physical contact. This isn't, you know, dancing around like ballet dancers. You know, these are people who are training, you know, special forces style on how to be able to withstand, you know, uh, physical blows and how to dish it out. Um, and, and an art called Krav Maga, and he really took to it. And he told me that he had about an 80% reduction in the night terrors after that. And my hypothesis, because I've seen this with other people too who've taken a similar tack, is that it's actually energetically working the trauma out of the body. Otherwise, the body, when it re-experiences this energy, goes into the emergency response mode. In other words, full-on fight or flight you are now getting an adrenaline dump. You're asleep, you're dreaming, and your body is dumping adrenaline because it is getting ready to fight for its life. But, that's, you, you know, but you're, you can't work that energy out of you because you're lying motionless in reality, but you're having this experience in your mind and actually deeper into your nervous system that is, uh, it, it, it is this emergency response that the body has naturally built into it to be able to handle emergencies. 
to get that dump of adrenaline when you need to run for your life, you know, it comes in handy, you know, um, but it's, uh, it's not right for that moment. And that's where the night terrors have to be addressed. Um, and oh, okay. a similar line nightmares have to be addressed too at their source. So then just from your explanation and you hit, you hit the words that triggered this, um, would anxiety attacks be daymares? Well, um, I haven't. Did, now, did you say dangerous? Was that the word you used? No, daymares. In other words, um, a nightmare that happens during the daytime, or uh, it, oh. it, are they? Are are anxiety attacks literally a nightmare experienced in a different way because the fight and flight is there, the anxiety is there. Could it be the subconscious trying to get your attention during the daytime? Because I, 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 I you know, um, I've, I've, in my past, I've had anxiety attacks. I had car accidents. I had private detectives following me, and they triggered anxiety attacks. And yeah, it's the same. The the physicality is exactly the same as that of a nightmare, but during the daytime. Yeah, a daymare. That's an interesting uh, term, and I like it. Um, I think uh, you were. Th- th- there can be a parallel made between what's happening that produces a night terror uh, as a as an energetic experience of the nervous system going into full flight and flight mode. Uh, an anxiety attack can be a similar sort of thing where you're uh, you're you're experiencing an, a, a, that response in your nervous system to uh, situation or just in general. I know people with generalized anxiety disorder type of situations who they'll say, you know, I can just be sitting there watching TV and then all of a sudden I'm, you know, here's comes the anxiety attack and they start feeling the, you know, the adrenaline rush. They have trouble breathing. Their heart rate skyrockets. They have all these other symptoms. It's part of the experience and it is very so similar that, to my care. Could that be a could that be that something has triggered a memory inside of them that they really weren't aware was there and that's why the anxiety, you know, kicks in? I have found that in some cases, and I've even seen it with uh, dreams that have helped to touch on it. And uh, I'd like to give an example. Um, This was very illuminating for me as we worked through the dream. It was someone who came to Reddit. Um, She said that she was... uh, she had a dream that she was watching TV on her couch and that um, she started um, picking, like she found something on her face that felt like a bump or something and she started picking at it. And the, it turned into this like small crater in her face. She kept picking at it and it got bloody and chunks of flesh are coming out. And now she's missing part of her face because she's picked at it so much. Now that was in the dream. And uh-huh. uh, we worked through some of the, you know, standard ideas about what that could mean symbolically, and it just wasn't resonating with her. And I started ask, I asked her, I said, well, when you were in the dream and you're watching TV, like, was this replicating your physical environment where you watch TV? She's like, oh, yeah, it was in the same, you know, living room or family room or whatever where I watch TV. And I said, well, the night before the dream, were you watching TV? And she said, yeah, you know, I watched TV until I went to bed. 
And I said, did you, did you, was there anything that you can remember watching that then produced a response in you where you started feeling anxious? And she thought about it and she said, well, you know, I was watching the, I was watching the evening news and I was looking at this lady who's, you know, delivering the evening news and I'm looking at how pretty she is. And I'm thinking to myself, I could never be that pretty. And I said, so you started kind of picking at your flaws. And that was what the, that was the insight that led us into understanding what that imagery meant when she was picking at her face. Her face is related to her appearance. She's looking at this face on the TV of this beautiful woman because that's what she's been hired. You know, that's why she's on TV. She can read off a teleprompter uh-huh. and she's nice to look at. So, and, <laughs> and then here's this girl who's a teenager, you know, young teenager who is in that phase that people go through, but especially girls, you know, in that seventh, eighth, ninth grade where they're, they, get re- they can be really critical of their own appearance. Um, oh, yeah. And so that was what was the trigger, and we were able to trace it back from the anxiety that she felt while she was watching TV and started picking out her own flaws, an internal dialogue, to then seeing how the dream imagery symbolically represented it. And once you understand the metaphor, picking at your flaws, you can look at her action of picking at her face until it's a crater, you know, bloody crater is in her face. Now you can understand what that imagery means symbolically. Wow. It's just, you know, it, it seems that sometimes, sometimes we, um, our, our higher consciousness, our spirit waits until we're mature enough to be able to deal with an issue to present it to you. And um, I'm wondering if if sometimes um, these kind of dreams are a signal to wake you up to something that now you need to deal with. Um, Mm. Years and years and years ago, um, I I, used to do a lot of readings, and um, I remember saying to my mother one evening at dinner, I said, you know, I, I usually get people in groups, you know, um, you know, I'll have a cluster of people who are working on relationship and then a cluster of people that are working on finances and a cluster of people that are doing spiritual work. And then, and I said, I, I've had a cluster here, and I don't know where it comes from, but, but every single one of them was um, abused as a child. You know, there was abuse. And, and I said, for the life of me, I can't figure out, because you know, I could always relate to a lot of stuff, but, you know, this was an area that I had no experience in. That night I had a dream, and I remembered being physically abused as a child. And mm. it came from, and I sat in be, up in bed, and I said, that's it. It was to awaken this memory, to say to to me, you do have experience in this field, yet you have kept it buried for all these years because you didn't want to deal with it. And, you know, it it, it wasn't a scary thing for me, but, but it was something that that my my conscious mind woke up, my subconscious mind or my subconscious mind related to something. It just, it, it, it came about in a dream. And it wasn't scary. It was like, well, damn. Of course, that's why I relate to this. Of course, that's why I understand this. And of course, that's why I drew a cluster because people tend to go to people that they feel, 
you know, have a frame of reference that they can help them deal with whatever it is they're going through. And yeah. I think that's that's what made me so curious because I mean there there had to be eight or ten people, and the, you know, and, and yet I remembered vividly the occurrence. I remembered when it happened. I remember where it happened. I, I you know the whole thing was right there in front of me, and it was like, darn it, of course that and old enough to deal with it, and and had it had I kept it buried, I mean, it might have become a problem to me, but, you know, once I was ready to deal with it, I saw it and I understood it and I processed it and and can relate to it with other people. But I, I think sometimes material is held back from us until we're mature enough or in a right place to be able to deal with it appropriately. Yeah, um, I've found that time and again this is something that I tell my uh, dream work clients when they're dealing with something from their dream lives that it's really troublesome for them, or it brings up something from the past that's been buried, forgotten, repressed. And I say, well, there's a reason why it's coming up now. And they might joke and say, well, yeah, because it's trying, you know, this is the worst time this could happen. It's trying to, you know, knock me <laughs> off my and I go, no, actually, subconsciously, you're recognizing that you're ready for this. You've, you've matured. You know, the pieces are in place for you for, to be able to do this. And now the, the, subconsciously, you knew this. And that is why the content is coming up in your dreams. And then I point out that their external environment can also respond to um, these sorts of internal situations and create synchronicities. Uh, Carl Jung said that what we do not deal with internally will be projected out externally for us to deal with. He was talking about it especially with our shadow side, that if mm -hmm. you do not deal with that own dark side of your own personality or ego, that it will be, uh, you will find situations in life where you have to deal with it. Uh, and that is where we can get into, you know, the, the sorts of externalization of darkness that people can feel like is traveling from their nightmares into their waking lives and where they're, what they're, the piece that they're not putting into place is the understanding that they're the one who's creating the experience because they're not dealing yeah. with it internally. And oftentimes it's in the dream space where you first have the opportunity to look at yourself fully, honestly, right there in the eye and say, yeah, that's me. I may not like it, but that's me. And now we can deal with it. Or that happened, that thing, that abuse, that trauma, that happened. And it was sometime back in my past, it's been mostly forgotten about. Maybe there was some aspect of it that I didn't deal with. Maybe it's just because it's my memory and I want to claim it rather than avoid it but it's coming up now. And that is where the question, when you want to get into the sort of therapeutic or treatment side of working with dreams and nightmares, that question becomes very important. Why is it coming up now? Well, let me give you a piece of empowerment. It's coming up now because you have the ability to deal with it, whether you recognize it or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was... Um... Yeah, I mean, I, I mentioned it to my mother, and she said, oh, no, that couldn't have been. And I said, oh, no, it, it was been. It, you, know, <laughs> you know, I was like, this was real. <laughs> yeah. This did happen. 
And, you know, she absolutely would not um, even entertain the possibility. And I thought, okay, I understand. You don't want to think that you put your child in this position, and that's okay. Um, I recognize what happened. I I managed to – I survived, obviously, and – I don't believe, yeah, yeah. It 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 was an awakening, but um, you know, it just it made great sense with who the people I was attracting, which is you know, it was it was you know, it, it's when you can say I understand what you're going through, and people know whether you do or not, and it, it gave me another group of people I can say I I've got it, I know what you're going through, hmm. and. You know, if if they, it's like AA. They know that you. Everybody has been through the same thing, so that they they trust the person that's trying to guide them a little bit more. So yeah, it's um, yeah. It, it it just. But but I, I want to get back to something because I keep I keep getting. Um, can you have a daymare? I mean, can you can you get um, a nightmare in a daydream? Well, let's start with um, an insight from Carl Jung that the dreaming function of the mind is always running. We tend uh-huh. to think of dreaming and waking as, and sleeping and waking as these very different states, uh, opposite ends, uh, totally unrelated to each other. But the dreaming function of the mind simply recedes into the background. When we're asleep, we're giving it our full attention uh, in cycles called the sleep stages. But we're at, there's, there are times when we're giving this our full attention, and now we're fully immersed in the dream experience. Jung said that that function of the mind continues to run when we're awake. It's just that usually we're, our mind is preoccupied with other things or occupied with other things, that just simply the act of visualization, you know, to be able to process what your eyes are seeing takes 50% of your available brain power at any given moment. So just having your eyes uh-huh. open is half of your brain is preoccupied with, you know, <laughs> if you think of it as a computer, well, you know, 50% of CPU power is now, you know, so the, what, the, the thing that then leads out of that is, is that Um, You can have experiences while you're awake where the dreaming function is, it comes forward into your consciousness and you can have an experience of something that seems very dreamlike and it's because the experience is being produced through the dreaming function, but you're awake and you're experiencing it. I saw this with a guy who's a, he's a hypnotist. He does the stage performances and, you know, the, the, all, the, all that. Very well known yeah. for it. He said, they, they asked him, you know, well, what, what is it that you, um, what, what is, what's actually happening when a person is hypnotized? And he said, well, first of all, they are still, they're not like under mind control or something. They're just more suggestible. And he said, what I've come to understand is, is that when they drop into the hypnosis, they're dropping into REM stage dreaming, and that at that point, the suggestions that I make are getting fed into that machine, call it, that function of the mind is running, it's taking input, which in this case is him saying something to them suggestively, and then it's being run through 
the dreaming function and the output for them is a dreamlike experience. And he showed a video recording of one of the uh, audience, you know, live thing that he was doing. And he said, look closely at that guy there who's under hypnosis. What's happening with his eyes? And you could see his eyes fluttering. And then he suggested to the guy that he was a chicken. And the guy got up and he started clucking and flapping his arms and pecking and, you know, acting like a chicken and doing it as, you know, like very, you know, realistic. He was fully immersed in the role of being a chicken. And I think it was because, and this guy, the hypnotherapist, I agree with him, that it was actually because he was having a waking dream. And that's where the doorway into those other forms of perception can really kick in. Because I think we're also having daytime dreaming experiences also when we get into meditations and we have a visualization experience when we get into yeah. past life regression and really start pulling up memories. And then sometimes it can happen involuntarily. Those what examples I just gave are states of consciousness that you have to deliberately decide you're going to experience often takes practice and the right sort of conditions for you to be able to enter into it. But it can also uh-huh. happen with people who are chronically sleep deprived. You know, in 24 hours of missleep, Barbara, you are starting to become psychotic and it's what will start to happen is, is that you will start having um, REM stage brainwave activity while you are awake. You could be like driving home after that double shift and you're just tired as can be and you actually can fall right into REM stage dreaming while you're awake. Um, people who also who are schizophrenic, it's been shown one, what's the thing that the most what schizophrenics have in common if you look at everything in their histories, is insomnia. The mo- that is the most common denominator among people with schizophrenia. And so you start wow. to go, well, yeah, they're, they're chronically sleep deprived and their ability to be able to differentiate the inner reality from the outer reality becomes thin or disappears. Why? Because their inner reality in dream form is now intruding on their external reality and waking life, and they can't tell the difference anymore. So when they start saying that they're seeing things or hearing voices, it's very realistic. You go, yeah, because you're having a waking dream. And that's the key piece of information. I mean, how many, if we could teach, if, if, I mean, could we, could we wipe out schizophrenia from our culture if those people were taught how to have a good night of sleep and were given the space to be able to recover and then the sort of follow-up to be able to help them to stay in that good sleeping patterns that they develop while there's some kind of intervention. You know, you've had a psychotic episode. You're diagnosed with schizophrenia. Well, the first thing uh-huh. I would do with someone like that is give them a couple of weeks to just sleep. And now let's let those natural healing processes happen but let's also eliminate those symptoms that they're experiencing because they're dreaming while they're awake. And there's probably other things going on in their life that is coloring that experience. Now we can talk about the anxiety attack. Why is an anxiety attack for someone, a temp- for one person, a sort of temporary thing that they deal with and then they move on from it? And for another person, it's debilitating. 
is it tapping into something, what I would ask, is is it tapping into something that's a result of like a chronic dysfunction that's been going on in their life? Are their defenses that far down that they can't deal with it in a sort of, you know, they can't respond and deal with it at the moment they're experiencing it and now it gets going to get worse and worse. I had a friend of mine who had an anxiety attack because of some uh, very stressful situations going on at work. I've known him for 30 years, and I knew that he had the personal resources to deal with it. Then again, I have a relative who's had some chronic anxiety attacks, and I wonder if sometimes if she doesn't have the sort of resilience that my friend has, maybe she's having a lot of sleepless nights. She's more vulnerable. So now when she does have the anxiety attack, it's a more severe experience for her. And is it also tapping into something deeper within her that is being run through a dreaming function because she is so chronically sleep deprived that she can fall into that REM stage, that REM pattern brainwave, you know, REM pattern brainwaves can now intrude. They can, it, can, it can turn on in a heartbeat. So she has an anxiety attack. And on top of that, she's also having a daymare. And now that anxiety attack is 10 times worse because it's being run through that sort of unfiltered, you know, the, the dream itself is an unfiltered experience. We have our ego defenses against things in our waking lives, but we don't have it when we're dreaming. So now you're having an anxiety attack, and then you also have that raw experience of dreaming on top of it that is amplifying the anxiety attack and what you're feeling and experiencing. Um, yeah, I would, you know, I would say that it, with a nightmare, you can wake up. With a daymare, you're awake. Uh, and realize what's happening, you know. I mean, yeah. I would begin with arming people with information. And, in fact, you know, one of the clinical definitions of a nightmare is it's something that wakes you up. It's, it's so intense and it's, it has such an emotional punch that it wakes you up, whereas a bad dream is something that you might sleep through. Well, if you want to have a checklist, was it a bad dream or was it a nightmare? And that's the first thing that a, a, a clinician would look at. Well, did, they, did you wake up from it? Yes, I did. That's a nightmare. Did you sleep through uh-huh. it? Yes, I did. Well, that's just a bad dream. The nightmare is sort of a next level experience of it. And, and because it's so powerful, it does wake you up at some point. Um, usually, you know, screaming, sweating, heart beating, you know, and you're in the grip of some kind of, you know, really fearful situation, which then you realize, you know, well, it was, it was a dream experience and it starts to go away. If you're awake and you're experiencing that, I mean, I know what most people would react. I mean, I know how they would react. If they experience something like that, they would think they're going crazy. And that is, then makes it worse because what they don't understand is, is what they're experiencing is actually explainable. It's, there's, there is a, a response to it. If you can realize what you're experiencing in the moment that you're experiencing it, it can go a long way to making sure that it doesn't become worse. Because if you start to think, well, I'm hearing voices and now I'm having hallucinations, that means I'm going crazy now the fear and anxiety and things related to that thought about going crazy are being added to the experience. The dreaming mind it, is it a just, translator. Yeah, it just it, it really feels like anxiety attacks are an extension of nightmares, but in the daytime. 
Well, um, and you could have, yes, uh, and you could also have an anxiety attack in your sleep. And I know people who have experienced that too. And that would be one way of being able to compare. The, the experience uh-huh. of a daytime anxiety attack where it starts to tap into the REM function, uh, was that comparable to an anxiety attack that you've had while asleep and dreaming and the dreaming mind is responding to it by creating imagery and scenarios related to it. How many times have I been at Reddit and someone is talking about this terrible dream that they had, and then they get to the end and they go, and then I woke up and realized that I couldn't breathe. And you go, well, okay, so you were experiencing sleep apnea, and you had this anxiety attack or something similar while you were asleep, and you're Okay, Jason, I'm losing your your sound. Um, you're totally. I I hear you echoing. Um, can you hang up and call back in because there's your sound is totally gone. Here, let me uh, let me keep talking. Hopefully, it will uh, resolve itself if I need to. Um, so. Uh, I'm going to uh, shift into a room here, and we're going to see if that helps to okay. problem. Yeah, if I needed to, I've got my extra headset here. I can plug it into my uh, computer Wi-Fi. You know, like it's hooked up on Wi-Fi. I could always call you through Google, <laughs> uh, Google Talk. Uh, I'm going to go into this room. There's a, another room in the house that tends to be a better reception. Um, am I still echoey? Uh, not quite so bad. Keep talking. It's hard to tell when you're not talking. Okay, I don't hear anything now. Um, I'm not hearing all. <laughs> nope. I would try calling back in. Okay, he's going to call back in. His material is just too darn good to not hear um, the totality of it because certainly the messages are are amazing and and the reality of we've all had nightmares, we've all had bad dreams, and some of us have had anxiety attacks. So, you know, there's a, there's a, a totally relating to what's going on here. So let's see. Are you back? Yeah. Hi, Barbara. Hopefully that does the trick. Perfect. I hope you were able Perfect. to uh, kind of talk on the fly and keep your uh, audience entertained while I was uh, calling you back. So can you hear oh, me okay? That's the first question. Yes, this is perfect. This is perfect. Um, Barbara? I, yes, yes. We hear you. Okay. You're so perfect. are you hearing me okay? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, want, to, I want to get back to this. this. Uh, can wow. you hear me? Yeah, this has gotten really bad. It's really choppy and distorted. Oh, because you sound great. Um, Try again. Hang hang up and I'll ad lib. Okay, do that. I'm going to get – it takes me a second. I'm going to get my computer going, and I'm going to call you through that. And if it fixes the problem, then it was on my end. And if it doesn't fix the problem, then there's something else going on. It'll take me about 90 seconds. I'll call you right back. That's no problem. I can can definitely talk that long. 
Um, okay. So, <laughs> good. <laughs> so, All right. So, so, so the element, the element of dreams, the element of using our dreams to understand our inner workings, is really important. And he, in his his previous book that we we he obviously has been on the show before because um, we went into his uh, his book on dreams um, at great length. And and it's dreams are an amazingly wonderful, important. Um, informative way of, of looking into what's going on within yourself. And um, uh, he recommends const- constantly, he talks about his, his dream journals and, you know, what he dreamed and remembering his dreams. And, you know, I'm not really good at that, but I remember my daydreams really well. And and it's it's sort of like it's it's your consciousness, your, your spirit trying to get through the, your ego to give your consciousness some information and dreams are incredible they do they do help you to understand what's going on inside it's almost like um in a dream state um whoops there he is hi are you there yeah hi you sound a lot clearer now go figure oh you sound fine okay, i was good. waxing philosophy here but but we'll go back to dreams um I, I really I really want people to understand about what what these nightmares nightmares are extreme because they're trying to get your attention, not because they're trying to scare you to death. Yes. And and so I, I think a lot of people worry about having a nightmare, and and in in some cases it is a warning. I mean, their their nightmares sometimes are precognitive, and I think you know we really have to address the fact that sometimes they are precognitive and sometimes they talk of past lives and sometimes they talk about the future and you have to ex- ex- you have to examine them thoroughly to try to determine exactly what it is they're meaning yeah and this is where the experience with the conventional side of dream interpretation is really comes in handy because you have to to be able to tell what a dream is precognitive it, or it's speaking to some kind of uh, past life trauma, generational trauma, something like that, you have to rule out what is more possible, which I said about four out of five times, I can find a conventional interpretation to a nightmare or a dream that appears to be something more than that, that there was something, let's just say, paranormal that you know, appears to be happening. And I go, well, you know, there was something more to it. Like the one guy who dreamed that he was in the afterlife and he's mm-hmm. in this like beautiful white building, very sort of corporate, you know, uh, orderly, you know, and he walks up to a, a desk. He like waits in line. Yeah, yeah. They call his name. He goes up to a desk and there's like a guy at the desk and there's, you know, a couple workers around and, and they're all very well dressed and presented. And they say, well, you know, everyone in the afterlife has a job and He's like, yeah. And they said, well, we have a job for you. We want you to be a janitor. And his, his reaction is kind of like, uh, you know, uh, and during the dream was, well, I guess if that's what I have to do, at least I'm in the afterlife. This isn't such a bad place. I suppose it could be worse. So he, what he, the point of, of it was that he wondered, well, is the dream making some kind of moral judgment about me? Is it saying that I'm not worthy of more? Is it saying that, you know, that my life 
has not added up to mean more than that? And when is it warning me that the afterlife is going to not meet my expectations because I haven't been a good enough person? And I said, well, let's, you know, those are interesting ideas. I can understand where that comes from, but let's take a look at the content of the dream and see if we can find what it is paralleling in your life that may be more ordinary. So we went through it, and this was, you know, the process. And what we found is, is that he had recently experienced an event where he worked for this guy's company, and the guy had decided that he was going to close that company. And he, he went to the dreamer and said, look, this is reality. You're getting laid off. But I have another company I would like you to work for. And you will, if you decide to take this job, you're going to be starting over at the beginning. You're going to have to do all the sorts of hustle work that works you up through the company. And there will at least be the potential for you to, you know, work your way back into the similar sort of situation you were in with the company that I'm having to close. So in other words, he's going to have to kind of be the janitor. He's in the after life, meaning after one part of his life was over, meaning the job that he had had, and now he has a new job. And saying that he was going to be a janitor was simply saying that he was going to be working his way up from the bottom. So uh-huh. there, wasn't more, there wasn't more to it than that. And the sort of thing that he thought at first that might be kind of a moral judgment on him was not true. I've also found this with other types of dreams that appear to have a sort of paranormal theme to it. And this is really important with nightmares because they tend to bring in things, you know, devils, demons, you know, God, Jesus you know, spiritual figure, spiritual warfare, you know, good versus evil, light versus dark. It can bring in all of these things as story themes. They tell a good story, and this is the way the dreaming mind has decided to do it. But once you can rule those things out, if you can, then you can start looking at this other side of it and say, well, you know, is there something going on where I'm being shown what could be the future? Um, there was a woman that came up to me after I'd done a workshop at uh, Canyon Ranch Resort and Spa here in Tucson. Um, very uh, well-known place. Uh, uh, and she was there. She told me after my workshop, she said, hey, I'd, I'd love to share this dream with you. She said, I had a dream that there was this black snake, and it was looking me dead in the eyes, and it said that it was going to kill me. And I started, you know, my dream, dream interpreter side of me started kicking in going, oh, holy crap, you know, like this is some powerful imagery. There must be something behind it. And she goes, at the time, I had late-stage brain cancer. I really thought I was going to die. The black snake was a symbol for the brain cancer. And then she told me that she had a dream after that where she, there was this beautiful black panther that came to her aid. And that panther was a symbol for her fighting spirit. The fact that this woman was at my workshop tells you what the end of that story was. She survived the brain cancer. She said it was stage four. Uh-huh. It was end stage brain cancer. And she found the way through it and she survived it. So in a way you could say that the snake was a preview of a fight for her life. She said that she had that dream before she um, knew that she had the cancer. She knew something was wrong, but she didn't know what it was. And then she had that dream and the snake saying, I'm going to kill you and there's nothing you can do about it. And so it was, in a way, it was precognitive. Um, Sigmund Freud had a dream that turned out to have 
perhaps about 10 years before he developed throat cancer, he had a dream that was telling him what was going on. And he misdiagnosed his own dream. The prodromal dream that he had. Prodromal dromal means uh, symptoms of the body. And prodromal means uh, the warning signs that we have before illness and disease manifests in the body. Um, Sigmund Freud had a dream. It's called his Irma dream where he uh, was with his colleague, uh, another doctor, and the, uh, he, he says that his patient Irma has been having, he, he thinks that she's better but not quite well. That was actually what the guy said to him while they were playing cards the night before. And then Sigmund Freud goes to sleep. He has a dream about Irma. And the doctor he was talking with who made this statement kind of stuck in his call, you know, where he's like, well, you think she's not quite better. Well, I'll show you. I'm Dr. Freud. He has a dream where he brings together these doctors and they're looking at her throat. And Freud says, well, I can see that there's these white spots back here. And I think that it's a side effect of your injections. Well, it turned out that the same things that he was describing in the dream were actually the early signs of the throat cancer that he ended up developing and went through all kinds of procedures and pain in the last, I think, 10 years of his life that he struggled with his throat cancer. So if he would have seen it in the dream, it would have given him, it was a preview of what was coming. And if he would have, if he would have interpreted his own dream correctly, then he might've been able, the warning was actually because of, he had a, a chronic cigar habit and the cigar, ah. uh, in the smoke was a carcinogen that was interacting with the acidic environment of his mouth and creating a toxin. And so he, he, if you look at his medical records, you can actually see it's all right there and that his dream told him that. But instead, what he, he interpreted it is, is that it was wish fulfillment, that he wanted to prove his colleague wrong, so he had a dream that turned into a wish fulfillment. And he used it as the underlying basis for psychoanalysis. He said that it was his key dream for everything else that he did in, in psychoanalysis. And Barbara, he was wrong. <laughs> I mean, so yeah, let that be a cautionary tale out there about, you know, you can pick up things from your dreams that can tell you what's going to happen in the future. And Dr. Freud's example is great for many reasons, including that he had enough time to respond in a way that could have made the situation better. He might have been able to and- avoid the throat cancer if he would have understood what his dream really meant. Can you use lucid dreaming? to um, to work through some of this stuff? Um, you can. Uh, because, you know, just the fact that you can become lucid in a dream shows a level of self-awareness that's required for really any sort of therapeutic work or inner, inner work, self-discovery, you know, whatever you want to call it under that umbrella. The... Uh, dream the being able to lucid dream requires a state of mind a state of being including a state of feeling that allows you to become lucid while you're dreaming so just the just practicing to become lucid is going to have benefits whether or not you are able to then uh ma- whether you're able to do it while you're dreaming to become lucid i find it to be very difficult to do I, I can really work on it a lot and have moments of lucidity in my dreams. It was easier when I was younger, but 
as I get older, I find that when I'm asleep, I just want to sleep. And I can have ordinary dreams, and they seem to do what they need to do, and I don't need to go deeper with it. But I did find that the practice of lucid dreaming, of the practices it takes to become lucid while dreaming, you can, things that you can do while you're awake, are very helpful just in general for increasing your self-awareness. I have here in my hand, and I've been holding this as we talk, I have a 1921 silver dollar. And I use this as my token to ask myself the question, am I sleeping and dreaming or am I awake? Am I dreaming or am I awake right now? How do I know that I'm actually awake? And I do certain things in my mind, like I'll try to trace back my memory to how I got to here. Like, okay, well, I'm on Barbara's show. A moment ago, I had to switch from my phone to my computer. Then before that, we had this conversation. Before that, I was preparing for the show. Before that, I was writing an email. Before that, I was eating dinner, et cetera, et cetera, all the way back to when I woke up. I trace my memory back and I go, okay, if I can trace my memory like that, that means I'm awake. Whereas a dream will have a point where I'll go, well, how did I get here? You know, like, what? what? I'm on top of the Eiffel Tower. Do I remember going up the elevator? No, I don't. Huh. Well, isn't that funny? You know, so there's things like that that you can do that help you to become more self-aware. And that can really help you. Now, if you can get into the dream state, you can do things. If, you're, if you can become lucid while you're dreaming, then there are things that you can do from there. Like you can say, you can ask the dream source because there's like a wizard behind the curtain that's helping you to produce this experience and it takes requests. So you can call in and you can say, show me what I need to know right now. And the dream usually will respond with an answer. It'll show you what you need to know because you're interacting with some part of yourself. You know, you're doing it through this process of dreaming. You can ask for more insights. You can quiz dream characters like, hey, what are you doing here? Try asking a dream character what they were doing before they encounter you. And you might find out that they have an entire life and history of their own. They were oh, doing yeah. something in oh, you. Yeah. You are the interloper. They go, well, I was having a great time until you came along. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah. So there's things like I, that I that will... Lucid Dreaming can really help you to do. And, yes, I do encourage it. But I think that a lot of people have difficulty getting lucid to begin with, even people who are very practiced in the dream arts like I am. And so uh, it's a kind of a hit or miss proposition to say, We'll learn how to lucid dream so that you can use it as a therapeutic environment. Great advice. But can you teach a person how to lucid dream? And that's where yeah. the difficulty comes yeah. people. I, I have found that if, if I've got a situation coming that I'm confused about or upset about or whatever, I will lucid dream the situation and then say, what are my options? Show me my options. Show me what will happen if this happens or if that happens. And, you know, show me, show me my choices so I can make a wise decision. And, um, yeah. you know, I'll often say, no, give me some more options. These don't look real good. <laughs> and, yeah. and so I, I use lucid dreaming all the time, you know, if, if I wake up and I don't like the way a dream ends, I go back to sleep and end it a different way. So, um, 
that's a control factor, I guess. But um, I think dreams are amazing, and they can they can show us different options. They can give us different outcomes. They can uh, dreams are amazing if you pay attention to them. And so many people just fluff them off. And I, I mentioned when you were off that you you keep dream journals that you've kept for you know forty gazillion years. Um, yeah. A dream journal, especially if they're nightmares, is a, is a good idea to keep. And um, uh, just the general uh, journaling I found to be very helpful, therapeutic, especially to begin the day. I start with my dreams and what I can remember of them, and then I go through my process of, of helping myself understand them off the bat. It's often a continual process. I very rarely understand a dream right off the bat. It requires me to keep revisiting it. But while I'm at it, I'll go ahead and talk about, you know, what am I feeling this morning? You know, uh, w- what is it that I'm facing today that I, I'm trying to work it through my thoughts and feelings about it? Sometimes I do it before I go to bed. Sometimes I do it to, as a review. I'll just pick up my journal and open to a page. And I'm, I'll, I'll ask myself, sh- show me something from my dreams that have helped me. They've showed me what I need to know right now in my life because they showed me something back then and this happened to me the other day or well, it's been over the other month now but i'll share this with you i had this i did that i took my journal i opened it up and i or i said first show me a dream that is the most helpful for me right now that maybe i've forgotten about or let's just review it so it took me back to a dream and i went oh yeah i'd kind of forgotten about that one it had been a few months before it had a theme in it that the very next day ended up coming in handy because my literary agent referred a client to me who needed help with a book, and I was putting on my editor hat and um, helping her with it. But the dream, it's, it, the dream referred to a subject that she was writing about in her book. And I want, oh, wow. that is not a coincidence. That is no. not a coincidence. No. It, especially since I prompted that to happen by asking for guidance and looking to my dream journal for it. So there are many, many things that your dreams can do for you. And, you know, Barbara, I know what it's like for the people who are out there listening to this and they're listening to, to two old hands who, you know, know their stuff when it comes to dreams. You know, we've been keeping dream journals for, I mean, it's been 30 years for me. And so they might be listening and going, that's not me. I, I don't have time when I wake up to journal my dreams. I haven't paid any attention to them. I have no idea what they mean. You know, it's interesting, but, you know, this isn't going to help me a whole lot. And I'll say, look, one of the best things you can do for yourself with working with your dreams and just in general is to give them your attention enough to try to remember and write them down. If you don't remember anything from your dreams, write that down. But get in the habit of doing it the first thing when you wake up, before you start doing off, going off into your day. Give a few minutes to think about your dreams. Get in the habit of doing it. If you don't remember anything, write that down. And just write down what you're feeling at the time. There will come a point when those memories will start coming back to you. A lot of times I can tell you that it happens within the first three tries. And then the person gets in the group, they start remembering things, they write them down, 
And when they do that, they are interacting with the part of their mind that created the dream to begin with. Remember, the dreaming function runs whether you're asleep or you're awake. And when you've just come out of sleep, you're still closer to it. You're closer to the unconscious where the stuff is being created. So when you write the stuff down, you are giving it time and attention. And your dreaming mind can do a lot with that. But you have to give it something to work with to begin with. There's a lot of good that comes from dreaming whether you remember it or not. You have about two hours of REM stage. If you sleep for eight hours, you have about two hours of REM stage content. Now, that averages out to anywhere from five to eight complete dreams. It's about five stages of REM stage dreaming that can last. Some of them can last for as long as an hour. They have been measured in labs, the, especially the final sleep you know, that last stage of dreaming that you have, you'll have four or five of them in a night, six if you sleep long enough, three if you don't sleep long enough. But for most people, it's about five or so. And that last one, Barbara, can, for most people, it's averaging about 45 minutes. That's 45 minutes of dreaming. How much of that are you honestly going to remember? You know, I've been able to pull up a lot with a lot of practice. And I tell you, I can fill pages of a journal, not every day, not every week. It only happens once in a while. But if you can even get a bit of it and remember the experience of the dream and put yourself back into it, like revisiting a memory, it's a recent memory. Oh, yeah, yesterday I went to the store. I saw someone in line. I picked up these items. I paid with this credit card. Uh, the parking lot was this if was full or not. The store was full. You know, like you just remember all the little details of that experience of going to the store. Try to do the same thing with your dreams. Remember all the little bits and pieces, but it might start off with just a big picture. Oh, I was in a store. Okay, what did I do when I was in the store? Uh, you know, I was, um, I was looking for soup, <laughs> you know, or whatever. The dream is now you're taking it in, you're following the trail. But to go back to why I mentioned this subject to begin with, I understand for those people out there who have had difficulty remembering their dreams, who might say, this stuff sounds great, but it'll never be me. And I'll say, it is you already, and you can help this along simply by giving it your time and attention and writing down what you can remember. If you get in the habit of doing that, even if it's just for a couple minutes a day, this is going to have a long-term benefit to it. And it can have great, great benefits for your personal growth. But there's a lot of energy that you feed into it that you may not realize is going to feed back to you because dreaming and waking are, are a cycle. What you dream about affects your waking life and your waking life affects what you dream about. I often find that my dreams will give me something. They wait for my response the next day or whenever I get around to it. So the dream has brought up a subject. It's turned it into a story. I've interacted with it. I wake up. I write down the dream. Then the dream says, the dreaming mind waits to see how I respond. If there was something going on in my life that needed to be, and the dream is pointing it out, what did I do in response? I had a dream the other day that there was a man telling me basically that I had all this stuff that was dangling that needed to be taken care of. So I, I woke up, and even though the dream wasn't referring specifically to the things on my to-do list, I realized that there were these all these different little things. There were emails that need to be returned. 
There was a piece of writing that was unfinished. There was something on my website that needed to be done. My podcast was, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I needed to do all these things. They were all small and they'd been getting put off and, you know, but it was putting it all together meant taking a lot of time to be able to do it. So I said, okay, today is clear the plate day. And along with it, I'll go ahead and do some laundry and sweep my pool and do all the other things that I need to do because my dream prompted me to do it. And then when it cleared things out, it was interesting how over the next few days, once I'd taken care of old business, there were some new interesting possibilities popped up. And I really wonder whether or not those things would have popped up if I wouldn't have cleared the space in my life to be able to accept them. Because the, by taking care of my to-do list, I was able to clear it out so I could add more things to my to-do list in a way. you know. But I wonder whether or not that response was because I, I, I responded to the dream. In my waking life, I did the things that I needed to do. And then I get back and the dream says, great, now we can start cooking up something new. But first you needed to get those other things off the stove so that we could have some room to cook. You see what I mean? Yeah, and it makes a yeah, great deal of sense. And so, you know, you kind of look at it all. And, and, uh, and for, those, the, for those of us that are getting older, um, I often have my journal in the bathroom so that, you know, I, I, I can do two things at once. Um, it's yes. it just, it's it sort of sometimes, sometimes, you know, there, there is need for one calling above another, but, but, but oftentimes I, I feel sometimes that the dreams are repeated in, 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 in flashes during the next day as well. And those flashes are as important as um as as the dream itself sometimes i i know that uh the one thing that that happens to me during the day after after i've had dreams that that are you know profound to me to a certain degree i will i will get a sense of something that that flashes me back to the dream and it's so real and it's so absolute that it puts me right back in that place almost a reminder that there's something else here that you need to pay attention to but but having those those olfactory reminders of something that happened in a dream is it, it's crucial and it, it it helps you as well everybody is you know i'm sure from time to time they catch a whiff of something that whether it's cigarette smoke or whether it's um, something baking and, and nothing's going on and you can't relate to it, there's an important memory there to remember. And things in your physical environment can prompt the memory to come up. Uh, and I found this uh, quite a bit with my um, uh, uh, the ways that something in my physical environment can help me to recover a piece of a dream that I had, had been most of the time it's because I hadn't remembered it in the physical cue, whether it's a smell or a sound or a taste, a, you know, something I feel or a sensation, something I hear will remind me of that piece of dream that had been lost to me to that point. Um, and then sometimes there's also a deeper thing that comes with it. The, the reminder, you know, the, the, it, it, it like it prompts something within me that acts as a reminder and I can then 
um, uh, act on it in a way and respond to it. The, you know, we're getting into something here that's pretty interesting in the way that it shows that there is a helper in the background of the dreaming mind that is, it's kind of, you know, trying to help you to live your life. It's, uh-huh. it's, it's reminding, it's reminding you of things that you've forgotten. It's prompting you like it did with me to take care of my business. Uh, it's opening you up to new possibilities that could come into your life. It's previewing things like my dream did with the, you know, the knowing that this, you know, I didn't know at the time that there was going to be a new client coming into my life and that we were going to do this work together. But when that uh-huh. moment, the, the dream, the dream made me ready for it in a way. And even though I didn't remember the dream real well, I did the sort of thing that helped to prompt that memory to come up by opening my journal and going, oh, yeah, I had that dream. And then the very next day, this client comes into my life, you know, like it prepared me, it prepared me for what was coming in my future. And that takes us back oh, yeah. to the precognitive, precognitive dreams. What, what people may not, I don't know if everyone out there, if you, how many times you've mentioned this on your show, Barbara, but precognition is the previewing of a future moment of time. Some people call it premonition. We call it a premonition mm-hmm. when we're awake. We call it a precognitive dream when it happens, obviously, when we're dreaming. Uh, a presentiment will come through your feelings. You know, so we, we have different, we have words that are basically describing an overall phenomenon that will, that's known as precognition. And what a lot of people don't know is, is that every, it's a natural ability, and we're probably experiencing it every night of our lives as we're dreaming. In some way, we are seeing the future coming kind of congealing or coming into form as we're dreaming about it. And it's yeah. the dreaming mind has a different, has the faculty to be able to see the, to see time in a way that the conscious mind doesn't. So that, that kind of finishes my thought. Yeah. I had a, <clears throat> I had an experience a long time ago, um, walking my dog at three in the morning in a snowstorm. And it was, it was so quiet. You could hear the snow, you could hear the snow falling and we were walking down this road that was covered with snow, and I remember saying to the dog, look at this. Nobody has walked this pathway before. We're the first ones to walk it. This is a new beginning. And I remember saying that to the dog. And every now and then in my life, I will, that will flash in my mind, um, often in dream state, and and I will know that, that that there is a new pathway I'm going to take that nobody's walked before me. I will know there is a change coming. And, you know, I'll be ready for it and I'll be looking for it. Yeah, yeah. It's giving you a heads up that this thing is coming. And now we can start using prompts in your external environment to remind you of these things. The, some, you know, seeing snow or the, the sound of a dog or uh, footsteps on a path, yeah, things like crunching. that will now prompt you into it that, yeah, the crunching sound, and it puts you back into that frame of mind where uh, the, the insight came to you. So that's a, the, this is where um, the sort of advanced level work with dreams can really begin in earnest is understanding that the dream does not end when you wake up. In this cycle of dreaming to waking to dreaming to waking, it is a cycle 
and that they connect with each other and one responds to the other and that you can start to have ways that your external life is you can start to notice that the world is responding to you what you are experiencing internally whether it's responding to your dreams or responding to what you're feeling thinking uh wishing and that it can start to take shape and that you can watch your environment for sort of clues to follow the uh for things to take shape out of the blue but you have a sense that they're coming uh for synchronicities and seemingly things that are you think they're coincidental but they're not they're synchronous there's meaning behind right. them We've had a number of guests on my podcast, The Dreams That Shape Us, who have had very dramatic experiences of synchronicities between what they experienced in their dreams and what happened subsequently in their waking lives. They've experienced where their lives came together in a way that helped them to advance whatever it was that had started or was reflected in their dreams. Uh, One guy needed to leave. His dreams were telling him, we're calling him to leave. Uh, he grew up in Manhattan. He lived there. And his, uh-huh. his dreams were calling him to leave that place. And he didn't quite know how he was going to do it. And he was able to, like, somebody came to him and said, oh, I've got this truck. I'm not sure. You know, like, he, it, was, it was seemingly chance meeting with someone who had what he needed to be able to leave the city, which was the vehicle to take him across the country so he could move to California. And it turned out his first month living in there in California, he didn't really have a home to live in. So he needed that truck to be able to sleep in. So it had the room that he needed. It had the the space for all of his possessions. It was able to, you know, hold together to get him across the country. It came to him and it was like the person, the asking price on the truck was exactly how much money he had that he'd be able to spend on buying a vehicle and getting out of town. So it began in his dreams. He had a need. He wasn't sure how he was going to do it. And then the stars aligned and he got what he needed. So there's a helper in the background that's not only there while you were dreaming, it is able to line up events and circumstances of your waking life in a way that will advance that agenda. If it wants you to be able to do something, it won't just leave you hanging. It won't say, okay, well, you got to figure it out now. Your heartfelt <laughs> desire to say, yeah, I want to, I want to be able to do this. The dreaming mind taps into something that's greater. It taps into whatever it is that is creating this reality or that is ordering this reality, or that has a power to influence it in a way that is in your favor and is seemingly supernatural or paranormal, or, you know, let's just call it what it is. It's spiritual. It's working on the spiritual side of things to be able to line things up for you so that you can advance that agenda that the dreaming mind thinks is good for you. So this is another way, just journal your dreams. You don't have to analyze them. Just pay attention. Give them the energy. It feeds back to you. And when I say feedback, I'm also referring to what we were just talking about. You've given them the attention, the energy, 
that they needed to be able to work with to then feed it back to you and the ways that your life lines up to be able to advance that agenda. So uh, another reason, <laughs> another <laughs> big reason for you to work with your dreams, even if you don't understand what they mean, just give them that time and attention. And Barbara, by the way, I love your idea of keeping the journal in the bathroom. I know sometimes, a lot of times when I wake up in the morning, that's the first thing I need to do. If the dream journal is in there, then it gives me that perfect stretch of time where I can just, you know, let my body do what it needs to do. And I can let my mind just kind of stay in that, you know, twilight kind of sleepy headed and, you know, not have my phone or anything distracting me, not have conversations, just focus on what it was that I was dreaming, write everything down in that journal that I can remember. And then you might start getting more clues as you go throughout the day that'll help to prompt you to remember more things. Remember, there's an assistant in the mind that's helping you with your dreams. It, it's, it's the dreaming mind is, is more than just something producing these experiences. And it has an awareness to it that is deeper. And it can be like, well, I need you to remember something that happened in your dream. So there's going to be something might happen, a smell, a sight, a sound that will be the cue that you need for you to be able to pull that memory up. And it might well, happen also, randomly. I mean, so another ahead. reason for keeping another reason for keeping it in in the bathroom is that quite often in the middle of the night, people will get up and go to the bathroom, and they're usually pretty much still in sleep state. So if if they're there and there's a journal, it's like, oh, maybe I ought to write this down now while I have it clear in my head. So um, yeah, I, you know, it it you know, I I have found that that my journal gets more action if it's in the bathroom than if it's at the bedside. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, uh, I just funny is that today I looked at my bathroom and I said, I don't have a book in here right now. And I tend to, you know, do other things like fiddle around on my phone. And I realized I was joking with a friend of mine about how people don't read these days because we're authors and we want people to read and buy books. And, uh, mm-hmm. we were joking about this. And, uh, one of the things that I said was, you know, when I used to keep books in my bathroom, I got more reading done. You know, I could uh-huh. be like, you know, maybe yeah. one or one or two books a month I could finish simply because they were in the bathroom. Now I was probably spending more time in the bathroom than, you know, as physically <laughs> necessary. But, um, and then I, I was just looking at that today and I'm going, all right, that's what this bathroom is missing. I need to put a book on the, you know, on the shelf here to have it ready to read. And uh, that way I can get more of uh, my reading list. I can get more done um, off of it because otherwise I'm waiting to kind of make time to read and I haven't had as much of that lately and I'm kind of missing it. So I need a good piece of a good work of uh, fiction or something to put up there and I can, you know. uh, Oh yeah. No, I I found that uh, now I read, I read about five books a month. And so the journal is in my bathroom so that it gives me time to write there. You know, I, I, I read a lot. And so, you know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, I, I am, I'm looking to find more time to actually do the writing I would like to do. Um, and because of the pandemic, most authors, yourself included, are writing much bigger books than they, they used to write. You know, it used to be two, 
to 300 pages. Now we're five, 800 pages. So, you know, it's, 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 it's kind of like <clears throat> trying to, to screen and, and give myself time to do the reading I need to do. But, but I want to write too. I have, you know, my website has tons of stuff on it and I want to continue to write for it. So I have to find a way to get the writing done for there too. So, I mean, it, it's, uh, I think it's a challenge for everybody who has one or two different modalities that they work at to balance them out and get a better balance in their life so that they're, they're not seesawing, but they're rather moving forward ahead instead of uh, crap walking. Yeah, and uh, I will say that the, the dream journaling for me kind of gets the pump going. You know, it, it primes everything up so that it can start to flow. So as a writer, uh, it's a great way to start the day. Because you're you're helping to clear things out and kind of just get the process going, and it's a great way to start the day. Uh, and you can then use that as a, a prompt to start doing other things, writing-wise. You know, they, uh, you might have something that's more creative that you're wanting to do. It's not based on your dreams, um, but then again, maybe some of those ideas you got from your dreams are going to end up in your writing, your creative writing. You know, like uh, Stephen King's story, Misery, came to him as a nightmare. He first <laughs> dreamed of that story. He was, uh, uh, in, in the end of his nightmare, as opposed to the story that he wrote, at the end of his nightmare, Annie Wilkes fed him to her pig. Uh, what was it uh, Charity, Chastity, uh, the name of the pig? I can't remember it right now. But she, he gave it, you know, in his story, the, the, the pig plays a role in the story, right? Well, in the dream, yeah. she fed yeah. she fed her victims to her pig, and in in his dream, he that, that's how his nightmare ended was she fed him to the pig. Uh, the night she in his dream was a symbol for his cocaine addiction, and the pig was sort of the cocaine. It was the thing that was oh. eating him up, um, and he he figured that all out. It's pretty fascinating. Uh, he has a Stephen has a very good knowledge of dreams. Um, but he said that um, that story, as he wrote it, evolved. He started with the nightmare as the sort of um, outline of the story, and then it evolved so that by the end of writing the book, the uh, main character, uh, Sheldon, uh, the, uh, the, the main character, the protagonist, ends up surviving his encounter with Annie Wilkes. I mean, everyone remembers the block scene where she, you know, hobbles him. Uh, oh, geez, you know, yeah. And, Kathy, when Kathy Bates did that with the, you know, <laughs> with the sledgehammer. Um, so he didn't exactly come out of it unscathed. Uh, and the way that Stephen King wrote that story was, you know, but he was, he was, he said that the character himself in his own mind um, put up more of a fight than the character, than himself as the character in his dream. And maybe in the writing process of creating that character and having him survive his ordeal with Annie, maybe because Stephen has been, you know, he's been sober. He got, he kicked his cocaine habit and maybe that experience of dreaming the nightmare and then working through it creatively was the beginning of his recovery from his addiction. Because by having the character survive the ordeal, it was actually himself projected into the dreamscape and then he was working with it in his imagination as a creative writer and maybe that actually had a deeper effect on him than simply 
creating this fabulous story that turned into a fabulous movie. Well, you, you've, you've written, one of the things you wrote was, nightmares can be a gift if they are a catalyst for change. And I think, I, I'm hopeful that we, that we have tonight given people an understanding that nightmares are really important to pay attention to. They're therapeutic, for sure, and they do bring up things that we have to, to look at and, and work with and through, but, but they also are a, a wonderful gift um, for for us as far as growth and understanding and maturity and creativity and all sorts of stuff. Um, I just noticed our time. Um, gosh, this, uh, this two hours went fast. Um, it did. So where, you know, let's give out your information where they can go to, to see your your website and your blogs and where they can get your books. Well, the book, uh, the Nightmares book is all over the place. It was a number one new release at Amazon. Uh, that little tag disappeared today. I was disappointed, but it might come back. Um, the, so uh, but Amazon and all those other retailers, it's there. Nightmares, your guide to interpreting your darkest dreams. It's published by Visible Ink Press. Um, and it's all over the place right now. But if you want to link directly to it, go to jmdeboard, D-E-B-O-R-D, jmdeboard.com. And that'll, you know, I've got a link to the book off of there, and it'll get you started. And it also takes you to my Amazon author page where I have some of my other titles. Um, The Dream Interpretation Dictionary is one that is still selling up a storm. And uh, I have 1,500 reviews and ratings at Amazon or something by now. I mean, it's it's huge. It's really blown up. Yeah. Um, And I've gotten a lot of feedback from people who say that that book has really helped them because it can sit on their nightstand, they can wake up from a dream, and they can look and see if I have a discussion of it in the dream dictionary. The Nightmares book is set up the same way. You kind of alluded to it during this conversation. What I wanted to do was write basically a dream dictionary for nightmares and dark dreams and the themes and symbols that are common to them. But I wanted to go into the sort of depth so that if you had a dream where it featured something that I can tell you about in the book, that it goes like it can go on for pages where I go through all the different possibilities for what it can mean symbolically. And then what you can do to, you know, as an entry point into the dream. So Barbara, I'm not just teaching people about the various symbols and themes in their nightmares and dark dreams. I'm teaching them how to interpret dreams in general. So readers can get a lot about how to interpret dreams simply by reading the book and getting into some really interesting material. You know, it doesn't have to be the kind of thing that keeps you awake at night. These night, you know, we talk about nightmares in the book, but you know, there's a learning process that you can go through from reading the book and whether or not you have nightmares and want any help with them. The book is very helpful for that. But for anyone who wants to know more about dream interpretation, they can definitely pick it up and learn a lot and get up to speed very quickly with that book. Oh, absolutely. So thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Well, it's been it's been a pleasure having you on again. And, um, you know, as always, there's so much more we could get into. And, you know, maybe we'll do that again because I think this is a topic that, that most people can learn and grow from. And uh, heavens, you know, there's also a link to the Amazon uh, with the write-up for the show, too. So if they just look yeah. at the bottom of the write-up for um, the show, the Amazon link is right there for the book. 
So I want to thank you again for sharing so much with us, and I look forward to having you on again sometime soon. Oh, I'm looking forward to it, too. That'll be awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Barbara, and thanks for reading my oh. book and being able to ask great questions about it. It's really appreciated. Oh, hey, it was a pleasure. And I want to thank everybody out there for staying with us and listening. I think that you will find that um, this material will over time, you know, filter in where it's appropriate and give you guidance and insight and wisdom. Um, check the book out. It is a fabulous book. So good night, everybody. Tomorrow night, Mark has a show. Uh, it's 10 o'clock, no, 9 o'clock Eastern. No, check the website. Um, check the website, barbaradelong.com. It's right up in the right-hand corner. It'll tell you when he's going to be on. And he has a fascinating show looking, looking forward to. So good night now. <laughs>